You are now listening to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast with Dr. Taylor Crick. Dr. Taylor is an expert in helping those suffering with autoimmune disease, and he himself has autoimmune disease. Autoimmunity is rampant today. The purpose of this podcast is to educate about the underlying causes and natural solutions to halt autoimmune disease progression. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. For more information from Dr. Taylor, visit www.autoimmuneeducationacademy.com. Without further ado, here's your host, Dr. Taylor Crick. All right, welcome to the Autoimmune Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Taylor Crick, and I love teaching and explaining the underlying mechanisms behind autoimmunity and chronic disease. Today's topic is the brain. It's pretty complicated, um, and it's an incredibly complex subject. So, But the, the point of this is that we're just seeing more and more neuro symptoms. In fact, last night, even on my Instagram page, we posted a post about uh, COVID, long COVID, and the effects on the brain. And it had just like a, a ton of likes overnight, like way more than most of our, our posts do. It's just we're seeing so many more neuro symptoms. And like they're they're honestly they're pretty pretty crazy and some of them are really really tricky to solve and some of them you know you were healthy a year ago and you didn't have this so you think it's going to be a quick and easy solution but there's a lot of complexity to this so I, I think that this podcast and the next series of podcasts is going to be really interesting because we're going into the brain I have a lot of other content about brain stuff but you know the point the goal is not to teach, you know, all the neurology and all the pathways. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I'm not a functional neurologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not Huberman Labs, which is, you know, a great podcast uh, with, with a, you know, neuro, neuro, I don't know what he is, neurobiologist. Um, that's Andrew Huberman out of Stanford. He's a really, it's a really great podcast. But this is not my number one specialty. I just know a lot about the brain. But I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go into all the details. My goal is to not teach all the neurology and all the pathways. My goal is to teach an understanding of how it all fits together, in order to help you solve your own puzzle. Brain, different brain regions, different brain functions different neurotransmitters, different concepts, different, you know, supplements and solutions. So over the the series of the next, you know, few podcasts, that's what we're going to go into is a lot of brain stuff. Some of the brain stuff that we're seeing is again, pretty crazy. There's a, a ton of anxiety, which there was anxiety, you know, before COVID, but now it's just really ramped up as far as the uh, incidence of and prevalence of anxiety, but also just like some depersonalization, derealization, um, and uh, 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 inability to tolerate like crowded places, inability to tolerate computer screens, inability to focus and concentrate, or inability to crunch numbers, or just like new onset handicaps that people did not used to have, which are just really, really interesting. And I think that a lot of the people, especially in the in the groups that listen to this podcast, I think that a lot of people have some knowledge on the brain. Like, you know, people will come into me and they're like, I think it's, I think I have low dopamine. So I'm taking tyrosine. And when we run their labs, it's like, no, that's, that's not what you're, what, what you need. Uh, you're, you're close. And I think that uh, I see a lot of really knowledgeable people that know a lot of their puzzle pieces, but it's kind of incomplete and you have to understand the whole picture and how the pieces fit together. So that's my goal over the next series of podcasts. Today is an overview on just brain stuff. The next three podcasts are neurotransmitters, 
And I'm going to go through in these, I'm going to go through like even some questionnaires. One of my mentors, I always talk about him, but Dr. Karazian, first off, he wrote a great book called Why Did My Brain Stop Working or something like that? Like, why is my brain not working anymore? Um, and it's a really, really extensive and really good brain book. But Dr. Krasian's, um on staff at Harvard and a, a, a functional neurologist. But some of these things I've learned through him through different continuing ed seminars. I just sat through... Uh, you know, seminar last weekend on anxiety or, or a few weekends ago, anxiety and mood disorders. So a lot of that I'm going to go through is just the pathways and things like that. But even with neurotransmitters, some of the things I'm going to go through are some of the questionnaires that he's developed and some of the questions that I ask people to say, hey, is it your dopamine? Is it your serotonin? Is it your acetylcholine? Um, so we can hone in on some of these mechanisms. So one of the podcasts is going to be on neurotransmitters. One of them is going to be on brain regions. So things like the cerebellum, the amygdala, um, and just like the prefrontal cortex and how some of those things connect, you know, vestibulo, cerebellar anxiety is a really common thing. Um, and then brain solutions is going to be the next podcast, which is going to be really extensive because there's a lot of different things you can do as far as even like I'm going to talk about. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know, like some uh, neurofeedback and some just different devices that are out there. You know, I've got a Vilite, I've got just different, you know, even just earplugs and eye mask and vagus nerve stimulation. And there's, you know, devices at home devices that are like, uh, they're called audio visual entrainment devices that are really, really interesting. And I don't know, there's just a lot of cool stuff that's out there. And then also supplements, certainly supplements and what the supplements do. So, I also, before I just jump into some of these functions, today's podcast is going to be some of the overall functions and overall needs of a healthy brain, because you've got to start with the overall big picture before getting into these details. Um, but I also have just, again, like I said, some ex some other information. So like, for example, I have a video on YouTube that I'll link in the show notes, and it's called Mast Cells. LPS and anxiety. And it talks about mast cells triggering neuroinflammation from LPS and how that leads to anxiety. And it talks about stabilizing the mast cells and all the things. Um, I have another one um, that I was just thinking about. Like, I've got some others about the kynurenine pathway that's a really prominent immune activation pathway, inflammatory pathway in, um, in anxiety. I've got some some videos about the kinurinary pathway. Uh, what was the other one I was just thinking about? Um, I've got videos about binaural beats, uh, which is an interesting, you know, brain uh, solution. Um, shoot, there was another one that I was just thinking about. Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to think about it in a sec. So anyway, I've got other content out there. I also have a, a, an extensive podcast that I did fairly recently about neuroinflammation and just 10 things you need to understand for neuroinflammation. So if you've heard that podcast, some of this might be a little bit of, of repeat, but a lot of this just, you know, you need to repeat it. Uh, but it's brain functions and just kind of how the brain works overall. That one is more about neuroinflammation. Um, but but there, uh, I'm, gosh, there's another one that I have that I'm just trying to think of. It's ticking me off now. So, okay, let me go into just some of the things. Just These are some of the hot topics on the brain. So I just uh, made a list of some things that I think that everybody should understand. Just some, some common, you know, topics about brain cells and just generalized brain function. And then I'm going to go into something that I, that I made called what a healthy brain needs. 
which is basically a checklist that you can kind of go through and I, I give it to patients and they can go through and say, okay, which one do I think mine is or which one do we think, you know, based on labs, based on symptoms and, and hone in on what exactly your brain might be missing or which one of these, you know, spokes of the wheel is not being addressed. So the first thing I want to talk about is the blood brain barrier, the blood brain barrier. We hear that talked about often. And what it is, it's the same barrier or a, a similar concept to your gut barrier. So your blood brain barrier is the, the cells of your blood in your brain. They don't let everything in. They, they're very, actually very, very selective. So the blood brain barrier protects the brain from things. The blood brain barrier doesn't fully form until you're like five to seven years old. So kids have an open blood brain barrier. So things that are given to kids can get through the blood brain barrier. So that can absolutely be a concern with just like neurodevelopment. But adults have a pretty sturdy blood brain barrier. Now, once that brain, blood brain barrier gets gets breached or gets uh, loses its integrity, then things can get in there. So things includes things like antibodies. Like if you have a gluten sensitivity and circulating gluten antibodies or circulating thyroid antibodies or something, they should not have access to the brain. That is part of the blood-brain barrier, antibodies, cytokines, different things like that. Some can cross as far as like cytokines. I don't know all the uh, you know uh, details of what can and cannot cross the blood-brain barrier as far as sizes and things, but it's very, very selective from even immune activation, uh, and its goal is to keep the brain protected. So when you lose blood-brain barrier integrity, it can permit things into the brain and permit focal inflammation of the brain. So antibodies can bind and cross-react to certain tissue, like cerebellar tissue, for example, or synapses or demyelinating, you know, uh, myelin basic protein. Um, so you want a healthy blood-brain barrier. Now, another thing with the blood-brain barrier that's just really important to, to know is that they, there's a saying that a leaky gut equals a leaky brain. So it, when you have intestinal permeability or if you have attack against the tight junctions, the occludins, zonulins, cloudins, um, those tight junction proteins hold together gut cells and also hold together brain cells. So in the context of even like uh, you know celiac disease or something, the blood-brain barrier can be opened and breached when that gut barrier is opened and reached. And in that context, it'd be with a gluten exposure. But for a lot of us, it's just GI inflammation is driving intestinal permeability, and that's allowing the blood-brain barrier to be open. Another thing that I think is important with the blood-brain barrier is that mast cells can permit blood-brain barrier permeability. So mast cells can be triggered by things like allergens or GI inflammation or, you know, air pollution or, or other things. Um, and then that can open the blood-brain barrier. So we want blood-brain barrier integrity. There are some labs that can be done for barrier integrity through Cyrex, um, but the blood-brain barrier is kind of the first concept. The next one is neurons, just talking about the different brain cells. Not all of them, but just neurons and glial cells. Neurons are, are nerve cells, you know, uh, brain cells. So you've got uh, roughly 100 billion neurons and you lose something like a million a day or so, some insane number. But what, what one of my mentors says, is he says, it, it's fine. It's like a sculpture 
the way that you perfect it is by chipping away at some of the excess. So as you get older, it's you don't typically get dumber, you get wiser and you know you you establish you you strengthen certain pathways and so you learn things as you age, but your brain is constantly just chipping away, but that's also how you kind of, you know, form your masterpiece. But what he says is it's fine for it to be like a sculpture. You don't want it to be like an ice sculpture where at the same time that you're chipping away, it's also melting away. So I, I love that that metaphor. Um, and I think the important thing to know about neurons is that when they reach a threshold, they fire electrical impulses. So when you see a bear in the woods, it activates certain areas and it reaches their threshold and they start to fire those impulses saying like, you know, run away or there's fear, fear, fear. And so some of those areas can get activated and sometimes they could be hard to turn off or, or slow down. And I think that when they fire in certain regions too, they also can get fatigued. They can get sensitized, you know, those fear producing areas or catecholamine like stress producing neurons can be sensitized. So they, they make too much stress hormone or stress neurotransmitter or they're sensitized so that like a little bit of adrenaline triggers a massive response. And there's all kinds of things with neurons and their communication with neurotransmitters. We're going to do the whole episode on neurotransmitters. But the metaphor that I use is that this is like a pitcher and a catcher. And the, the ball is the neurotransmitter. So it's like they have, there's a certain space that they have to communicate between the, you know, from the mound to the, to home plate. This is actually great because it's, it's, uh, playoffs right now baseball um but that's that's the that's the space between the neurons that's the synapse and the neurotransmitter is the ball and there's different ways that they can communicate but when they mess up and they mess up that communication it can lead to to problems so uh, and i think that also when sometimes they get triggered or fired or sensitized in certain regions like again regions like the cerebellum or the amygdala that the cerebellum gates all of your senses um, or the amygdala, which is the fear sensing area, then they can create kind of an electrical storm, kind of like a short circuiting uh, electrical storm in certain regions that lead to things like, you know, irrational fears or panic or, you know, vertigo or, you, you know, whatever the, the case is. Um, so I think that's just an important concept when it comes to a lot of the symptoms that I'm seeing uh, in people today, and especially that threshold concept. So that's actually my next thing on my list is the threshold. So the threshold, you can have neurons that are, you have what's called a resting membrane potential and then a threshold. So your resting membrane potential is, you know, kind of like it sounds, I guess, is like where you're at at baseline. And then as those uh, certain different, their ions, I'm going to talk about them in a sec, but it's sodium and potassium generally that as that resting memory potential rises, eventually it's going to reach a threshold, and that threshold is when the neuron fires. And, and you can have sensitization where you have a decreased threshold. So your neurons are more easily triggered by trivial stimuli. And I think that one of the things with this is just, again, it's a sodium-potassium pump. And so many people today, you know, just even in the like Instagram, podcast, social media world are, are experiencing uh, value from electrolytes. 
And I think that that's a really, really important thing for the, for the threshold and for many other reasons, but for the threshold and especially generally higher potassium um, to, to you know, offset sodium. There's a lot of sodium in our society. I'm a fan of sodium. I'm a fan of salt. But I'm also a fan of potassium too. I'm a fan of really of, of both of those because it keeps those mitochondria pumping. There's some insane stat. Again, I'm, 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 you know, not trying to cite it specifically, uh, obviously, but it's something like 75% of the body's ATP or energy goes towards maintaining sodium and potassium concentrations because that maintains the 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 mitochondrial membrane potential. And the cell membrane, the membrane potential of your cells. So that's a really, really, really important uh, concept is that a lot of people uh, through, you know, COVID and other mechanisms, their threshold lowers and they're easily triggered by trivial stimuli like flashing lights or staring at a computer screen or voices or, you know, all of the above kind of all at the same time or motion, you know, they get in a car and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't handle this. Um, so that we want to raise that threshold and raise kind of the the endurance or fatigability of those cells too, which fatigability is a different thing, I should say, that I'm going to get to in a second, but raise the tolerance rather uh, of what those cells can tolerate. Um, the next thing is glial cells. Glial means glue. And, and these cells kind of hold the brain together is what I always, you know, learned in school. But glial cells outnumber neurons 10 to 1. So you've got 100 billion neurons. You've got 10 to 1 glial cells. So whatever that is, I think it's a trillion um, glial cells. So you've got a lot of glial cells. And they're the resident immune cells of the brain. And they do just a, a lot of things. But as the resident immune cells, they, they're the macrophages. So microglial activation equals neuroinflammation because they start macrophaging, which is like Pac-Man. Think Pac-Man eating things up. They're eating up bad things uh, that get into the brain or even bad neurons, dead neurons or senescent neurons. Now, activated microglia can also phagocytize live neurons, and that's a really, really big problem. In fact, my other you know, main mentor in, in the immunology world, Dr. Karazian is one and the other is Dr. Sam Yannick. And he's got a great paper that's published uh, on, on it's open text. It's in frontiers. I forget the, you know, which frontiers neuro, neuroscience or frontiers in immunology maybe, but it's called the, something along the lines of the phago, the microglial phagocytosis of live neurons. Um, and it's really, really good. So understanding glial cells and understanding neuroinflammation, um, now, now that's what would be activated if like I hit you on the head with a hammer and you had a concussion or, or that's also what can be activated by things like air pollution or mold toxins or mercury, you know, it can activate these microglia, which turns on neuroinflammation, which can lead to neuronal loss. Um, and that's not a good sign that which neuronal loss you know, eventually leads to decrease in volume or uh, lesions seen on an MRI or things like that. We don't want the brain to be uh, an ice sculpture again, right? Then another very, very important concept that, you know, again, could be taught for an entire weekend, and Dr. Krasian has a course on this that's an entire weekend, but it's glial 
priming. And what that basically means is that when those microglia get activated, and a lot of them get activated, there's a, a concept called glial priming, which means they might calm down. You might calm down that neuroinflammation, but they remember it. And that's the problem with head traumas. You get a head trauma, let's say when you're 12 years old playing peewee football, and your microglia remember that. So if you take another hit your junior year of high school, then it's the, that neuroinflammation is going to ramp right back up to how it was and then some. And then if you get a third hit, it's even worse. So that's the concern with microglial priming is whatever that's been primed by, whether it is, again, something like mold toxin or air pollution or, you know, virus or, you know, what, whatever the case is, then when it gets hit again, that priming is worse or that neuroinflammation is worse. So we want to avoid glial priming. Then the last concept is the mitochondria, that all of this, excuse me, is powered by mitochondria. Mitochondria actually sense the environment. So, and there's something called the cell danger response, which is really, really fascinating. I have a really, maybe that was what I was trying to think of earlier. Jeez. I have a really good video on something called the cell danger response and the limbic system. The limbic system is, um, a, 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 uh, we'll talk about it in brain regions, but it's like the regions of the brain that are associated with emotion and, and memories. So like the hippocampus, the amygdala, the cingulate gyrus, um, the prefrontal cortex, all part of the limbic regions. Um, but the, the mitochondria, you've got a boatload of mitochondria in your brain, like one, like a quadrillion. And I don't even know what a quadrillion, I don't even, wouldn't even be able to write out what a quadrillion is. It's just an insane number. And I also just saw some literature that they like blew that number out of the water. It was like, uh, there's like, I don't know, it was insane how many mitochondria are in the brain. So they run the show. They sense the environment. Um, so the, when in the context of what's called the cell danger response, that whole concept was published in mitochondrial journals because that's a mitochondrial response. When your cells sense danger, they, they do certain things like a turtle does when it senses danger. It goes into its turtle shell, right? And if you look at this cell danger response, I, again, I have a great video on it. Um, it. You see what the cells do. It's like everything that we see in functional medicine practice, everything like uh, anxiety, inflammation, you know, low vitamin D, methylation support, like gut, gut disruption, just all the things. And the mitochondria sense that. But the mitochondria also provide the ATP or the power needed for all appropriate brain functions. So when you get decreased mitochondrial ATP production or you get decreased uh, metabolic activity in certain brain regions, then you're going to get brain problems. And so decreased ATP in the brain is when you're easily fatigued by exertion. So by concentrating, by reading, by talking on the phone, by watching a computer screen, by driving in a car, um, your brain is easily fatigued by doing certain things. And that's we need to support the mitochondria and ATP production. So next I'm going to talk about what a healthy brain needs. And then I'm going to give just kind of one quick example of, of a case study of, of somebody who's 
you know, brain has been our focus, but are, are really, you know, what we look for is like, okay, what's going on in your gut? What's going on with your cellular energy? What's going on with your mitochondria? What's going on with your inflammation? And, and those are a lot of our major, major goals when addressing the brain. So this is called your healthy brain needs dot, 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 or like what your healthy brain needs. So the first thing on this list, and again, it's a checklist. So the first thing is appropriate neurotransmitter activity. We will talk about that in the upcoming podcast, but things like serotonin, happiness, uh, dopamine, which is like pleasure, focus, mood, uh, a lot of things, epinephrine and norepinephrine, which are stress neurotransmitters, catecholamines, uh, epinephrine is otherwise known as adrenaline. Um, so that's what those are for. You know, they kind of get you up and get you going if there's a you know problem or there's a danger. Acetylcholine is important for cognitive function, for working memory, for computation, also for vagus nerve activity and parasympathetic activity. And then GABA and glutamate. And there are others, but GABA is like the, the main calming neurotransmitter. Glutamate's excitatory. And so GABA is really, really important just in a lot of the pathways and a lot of the symptoms that we're seeing because sometimes these neurons get excited, they get turned on, and they just can't turn off. And and GABA does that. GABA is kind of like the brake pedal of neuron neuron firing. So you need appropriate neurotransmitter activity. That's number one. And it's dependent on many things like your hormones, your your, the neuron building blocks or the neurotransmitter rather building blocks, uh, your healthy emotional states. Uh, your habits, your lifestyle habits, your sunlight, your circadian rhythms, your exercise, all those things are really important. The next thing that every brain needs is abundant oxygen. You need good oxygen flow and you need oxygen flow to like the, the microvasculature in the brain. You picture like these deep areas of the brain and these are small vessels. So if you have trouble getting blood flow to your fingers or your toes or your ears or your nose, you probably have trouble getting blood flow to your brain as well. So you need good blood flow. You also need good oxygen delivery. So you can't be anemic. Um, And you just need oxygen usage. And that's a hard thing to measure, but it's an interesting thing to address because there are natural things that can increase, you know, oxygenation to the brain. The next one is you need a steady fuel source. And what that means is balanced blood sugar and or ketone production. So you don't want hypoglycemia. Hypoglycemia is really bad for the brain. We don't want blood sugar dropping. And we also don't want any insulin resistance where we've got too much blood sugar and that blood sugar can't get into the cells because of insulin resistance. Uh, di- you know, Alzheimer's is dubbed type 3 diabetes. And, and hypoglycemia is in, uh, also a risk factor for insulin resistance. So I, I think that we want steady. It's like Goldilocks. We don't want it too hot. We don't want it too cold. We want it just right with our fuel supply to the brain. The next one is you need adequate methylation. So methylation is just a really important concept that is, you know, intense, but it's B vitamins, B9, B12, B6. Uh, SAMe is your body's uh, ultimate uh, methyl donor, master methyl donor. Choline is a methyl donor. Um, Taurine supports methylation. Magnesium. Um, So uh, you just need adequate methylation. And sometimes... People know they have a methylation piece to their puzzle. Like, I know I have MTHFR, but there's a lot of different 
pieces to that puzzle. And it's a complicated puzzle, but you need methylation for neurotransmitter production and neurotransmitter metabolism um, as well. The next one is proper lip, lipid morphology, meaning you need the right lipid balance, the right fat balance. You need a lot of omega-3s. And within omega-3s, you know, there's uh, EPA and DHA are the most famous omega-3s. And DHA is more important for the brain. EPA is more important for the blood vessels. But DHA is really important for the brain and for building the brain. That's one of the things I give my kids. Um, and you need decreased omega-6s. And then you also need some things like phosphatidylcholine for healthy brain cells. You also need things like cholesterol and other fats. You need good fats and proper lipid morphology. Decreased bad fats, decreased uh, you know trans fats, decreased uh, omega sixes. Um, and when you have fats in the wrong balance, then things go down inflammatory pathways. And when you have fats in the right balance things go down the anti-inflammatory pathways. So proper lipid morphology. Um, healthy stimulation is the next thing. You need to be learning. You need to have fun. You need to be looking at visual complexity. You know, as I sit back here in my office with gray walls, you know, when you go outside or you go camping or something, you're looking at a fire, you're looking at the woods. Nature has an infinite complexity just being out like even in a park, there's an infinite amount of complexity and that is good for your brain. Doing things like memory games, Sudoku, crossword puzzles, whatever, matching games, reading, um, healthy emotional connections, certainly, you know, having a, having a you know, support system, having a community, having a tribe, whatever it is. Exercise, exercise is so important for the brain, it's unbelievable. Um, and then no social media, no video games, you know, I, I initially wrote this uh, checklist up for a kid. So I, I, especially for that kid, I was like, no, no social media, no video games. But I think that, and I'm, you know, guilty of social media. I don't do video games, but social media is also kind of a part of my business. So I use that as kind of an excuse, but it is uh, not a good thing for our attention spans and, and otherwise. The next one is hormone balance. You need uh, appropriate estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, cortisol, especially those steroid hormones uh, that I just listed. And then you need a good gut-brain connection. This one's a, a topic in and of itself. So uh, addressing dysbiosis with probiotics or killing infections like candida or SIBO or H. pylori or whatever the case is with infections in the gut. Um, eliminating food sensitivities. Decreasing, you know, uh, permeability, increasing vagus nerve activity would be part of that gut-brain connection. So that's really, really important for brain function is having that good gut-brain connection. In fact, it's really, really crucial. And science continues to pour out about how important that is just even in the context of depression and anxiety and PTSD and all those things. And the vagus nerve is the modulator of that gut-brain axis. And you can also stimulate that with a TENS device or by humming or gargling or gagging or, or you know, coffee enemas or things like that for, for the vagus. Uh, and then the last one that I have on here is sunlight and healthy circadian rhythms. You need healthy circadian rhythms. A lot of over a third of your genes are controlled by circadian clocks and circadian rhythms. So I think that that's just a really, really important foundational thing for the brain. So imbalances in those categories will lead to neuroexcitation, 
neuroinflammation, and neurodegeneration. So uh, again, that's a checklist that you can kind of just look and see, okay, which one do I think mine might be? And, and that might be based on these next couple podcasts of like, okay, what's my neurotransmitter activity like? What's my brain regions like? And then, okay, which, ones of the, which one of these am I lacking the most? And it can help you put together, you know, kind of your own uh, kind of treatment plan, quite frankly. Um, and I think, that's a, I think that's kind of my goal. So last, I'm going to go through just kind of a case study of just somebody uh, that I see, I continue to see, I've seen for years, and I'm going to you know go fast, but I'm just going to talk about some of the different things that we've seen and worked on and done and accomplished and what they told us. And that's, again, the goal with these next several podcasts is to you know piece together what these symptoms tell us, what these different uh, signs tell us, what labs tell us, and what all we can do about it. So this person is a woman. Um, I don't really know her age. Let's say she's 40. Um, so she came in with debilitating anxiety. This is several years ago, debilitating anxiety. And so she'd get it in a couple things. She had some irrational fears. So I'm going to go through this and just, you know, talk through quickly about some of these mechanisms, uh, that, that what they make me think of. So first off, just anxiety. I tend to think like, okay, sympathetic drive, a lot of like fear-based stuff, and a lot of you know, fight or flight stuff, limbic system activation. So she had some irrational fears. And so that makes me think the amygdala. The amygdala is the fear sensing area of the limbic system. But then she also had anxiety in crowded places, anxiety in stores, anxiety in church. And that's very, very common where people will get anxiety. Sometimes they'll get it just even pulling up to the parking lot of a restaurant and like seeing how crowded it is, their brain just starts getting anxiety, just thinking about all the noises and flashing lights and, and stuff like that. Or if they live in a city, it's like, you know, riding the train or something like that. It's just like a lot of sensory. So I'm thinking amygdala and I'm thinking cerebellar, vestibulo cerebellar with this. So again, this was years ago and I didn't even pull her file. This is just from my memory. So I don't remember exactly what we did, but we got rid of her symptoms and, and you know, it took maybe a month or so, but her anxiety went away. And I, we used like some B vitamins and methylation support, mitochondrial support, glutathione. She's loved glutathione and adaptogenic herbs. And, and you know, at that time, I don't think we did a lot of gut support at that, uh, at that time. But long story short, her anxiety went away and it stayed away for, you know, over a year. A year later, she's, her anxiety was started to return and, and she was also starting to have some new symptoms, some like coordination symptoms, some more cerebellar symptoms. So we started thinking, uh-oh. And, and so we looked to see, did she have cerebellar antibodies? Now she had been gluten-free since before working with me. So she's pretty good about gluten and gluten can cross react with the cerebellum. So that's often one of the first things that I might recommend to somebody who has cerebellar symptoms or even just has anxiety. Have you tried a gluten-free diet for at least 60, 60 days? Um, and most of the people that come to me have, have you know, gone down that route and, and you know, live, live on that road. Um, but so you know, we're kind of suspecting cerebellar antibodies because she's having more cerebellar symptoms. But what she had was not cerebellar symptoms, but demyelinating antibodies and also antibodies against something called synapsin, which that can affect any area of the brain. You know, myelin coats every, every neuron, so that can affect every, any area, uh, and so can synapsin. So for hers, 
it wasn't cerebellar antibodies and a gluten sensitivity, but it was neurological antibodies, and it just seemed to be presenting in her cerebellum, in her vestibulocerebellar system, and firing off more epinephrine and norepinephrine and kind of decreasing GABA, so creating that kind of amygdala-based, fear-based response. Now, she also had candida and mold antibodies, And I think even as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, I'm really flying through this. But long story short, she's been my patient for many years. I've seen her husband, her kid, her mother-in-law, her, you know, uh, family friends, uh, just, you know, a, a, a myriad of referrals as well. And we're able to keep her symptoms at bay by understanding a lot of these connections in the brain and a lot of the possible solutions for them through different, you know, we got to keep candida at bay in the gut. We've got to address, you know, blood sugar control. She's done keto and had some, had, uh, you know, really good success with that uh, because we're having some blood sugar, you know, imbalances. And just throughout the years with a lot of my patients, if you look back through, you know, what a healthy brain needs, that, that checklist that I went through, if you look back through, we've kind of hit each one of those at a different time. And we kind of always hit each one of those, but the priority levels are always changing. It's kind of like a leaderboard at a golf tournament that the leaders, like the, the, the priorities are always changing, but the top 10 things are always remain the same, but it might be, okay, now our focus is more on blood flow or now our focus is more on this particular area of the brain, or now our focus is more on let's get these omegas, uh, uh, omegas up and let's work on your lipids for a while or let's, you know, do a, de- do a detoxification kind of protocol where we're removing, you know, toxins like mold toxins or whatever that can be driving some of this as well, neurotoxins. So that's, you know, again, just a very, very quick version of one of my patient stories and how we put all these pieces of the puzzle together through looking at symptoms through looking at labs, through giving us some targets, and then putting together kind of a roadmap or a plan of attack, and then circling back and saying, how are things working? You know, if I see somebody and they're like, man, my brain is getting worse, it's red flag city. We do not want that. We've got to explore these mechanisms. We've got to be more aggressive. I might recommend an autoimmune paleo diet at that time. I might recommend higher dose supplements, but we do not want brain symptoms increasing that is for sure. So hope you enjoyed that. Again, the next few episodes are going to be about the brain as well. Um, if anybody wants that checklist of what a healthy brain needs, I could, I could you know, put that online. I'm going to put some uh, videos in the show notes. I'm going to put mast cells, LPS, and anxiety in there. I'm also going to put the limbic system and cell danger response, um, another good neuro video. And, and then when we get to brain solutions. I'll talk more about the other one I mentioned was uh, about binaural beats. Um, but yeah, neurotransmitters, brain regions, and brain solutions, uh, next three podcasts. So stay tuned, leave a rating, leave a review, share it with somebody, follow me on Instagram, share that with somebody, uh, follow me on YouTube and share that with somebody. That would be awesome. See you guys. Bye.